Scott Murray, Professor of Primary Palliative Care at the University of Edinburgh, has written and talked in this podcast before about the benefits of early palliative care. Today, he's back to explain how illness trajectory and the pattern of decline at the end of life affects four main areas of wellness, physical, social, psychological and spiritual or existential. Scott, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Your pleasure. In this article, you're talking about early palliative care. Uh, And I think it's just worth reiterating again, what do you mean by that? Is it the same as palliative care that people understand and will have experienced but earlier? Or is it a slightly different concept? Thank you. It certainly is earlier. Palliative care should be triggered by a a diagnosis of life-threatening illness. It's not when the illness becomes incurable. It's clearly been defined for early at, at diagnosis. Palliative care is about being holistic, that is caring for the person, different aspects of needs, not just the disease, but them psychologically, socially and spiritually, and to plan. And the idea is that is done earlier in the illness, not just at the very end. Currently, palliative care appears late, on average seven or nine weeks before the person dies, mostly for, mostly for people with cancer. And there's a lot of good and distress can be prevented before then. Mm. So we're talking about the sort of you know, the holistic care, the the psychological care, all that kind of care. It's not about stopping treatment earlier or uh, moving someone on to, you know, just uh, pain support or, or whatever it is. It's, it's thinking about the wider aspects of, of palliative care up front. Palliative care is doing more, not less. It's adding on care for the other dimensions and considering what possibly could be stopped. Realistic medicine is a term which actually is being used a lot, and palliative care is a form of realistic medicine. Now, in the article, you talk about the three trajectories of illness, uh, rapid functional decline, intermittent decline, gradual decline. And I think most people probably will recognise them. And then you've got four dimensions of the experience of dying, the, the physical Um, social, psychological and spiritual Mm. and there's some really nice animations in the paper and I think listeners should definitely uh, go and have a look at them because it makes this really clear Um, but I think the thing that struck me was that you know it's those animations make it really obvious that um, sometimes things seem to track so maybe spiritual and psychological wellness follow a sort of similar pattern Mm-hmm. Um, of decline and growth and things. Um, but sometimes they're really quite disparate. And uh, I was wondering, is this the key thing you're trying to get um, doctors to think about? Uh, the need to assess all of those dimensions and think about how they might change in the future. Yes, thank you. It is about assessing all these dimensions, but the idea is that just as a heart attack has a typical bunch of, of uh, symptoms... And you can identify it by by grasping them together. Similarly, most illnesses pan out in quite typical ways. So, for instance, in in lung cancer at diagnosis, the person might have a bit of a cough, be quite physically well, but they may well be quite anxious, will be quite anxious actually coming to a diagnosis, and it may cause existential issues. So quite clearly that that area 
could well be distressing. And again, when the person's out of hospital. So knowing that, we can explain it to someone and say, you may have to go through this and the carers and the relatives also would benefit from that type of knowledge. So it's talking a bit about the future of what things might happen to them can be very useful for people. Mm. Um, and obviously we've been talking about patients here, but uh, we did a recent article about um, the need for um, carers and family members to be supported in this. And do you think, you know, equally, uh, they need this sort of early uh, intervention, early kind of, you know, introduction to palliative care? Yes, I read that article and I said, amen, and even earlier, because it's really earlier on and getting that relationship can help. Palliative care is really about preventing a lot of unnecessary distress apart from, as, as well as treating pain. And a lot there can be a lot of unnecessary distress. If someone doesn't know what's going to happen, they'll get worried. The relative can, can worry. So really from the very beginning, that means chatting to people together, sharing uncertainty together with the patient and carer so that we can actually address at, at coming together as a sort of team, knowing that we'll do this together. And palliative care is classically about being with rather than even doing things. So it's just being listening and tracking along and saying, okay, I'm going to be with you along there. People know that you've reached the end of these trajectories for many patients before. And I think it's quite reassuring if someone knows you're there for them, with them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that mirrors a point that was made uh, uh, by the authors of that when we, we talked to them in a podcast where they were saying, you know, often they feel their role is to be there and let almost be a sounding board to let people talk about their fears and, and things and that can be even if you have no answers that can be a uh you know a, a, an important and effective role for a for a doctor indeed it is i've had a few consultations at the end the doc, patient's gone away and said thank you for listening and you thought oh i've done nothing what did they actually mean by saying that but i now take it as a compliment um now you note in the paper that many people um, and I'm talking about all people here, medical staff, patients, carers, everyone, mm. um, find talking about death difficult. That's, you know, the society that we have we live in. Mm. Um, but you've got some, uh, you've got a box with some sort of questions, some ideas, things that, that clinicians um, can use to sort of help unpick this a little bit to find out what their patients are feeling and, and what they care about. Um could you just give us a couple of those, you know, ones that you find really useful? Thank you, yes. So it's really about helping people talk about uncertainty, dealing with uncertainty, which is quite different, actually, than the Breaking Bad News conversations that medical students are taught at home, taught, uh, taught at uh, medical school, rather. So it's earlier on and just saying, well, there may be other options going. We sometimes use the example of someone that might be an 80-year-old chap with COPD, you know, bad lung disease, and who's been admitted to hospital for a few years. And I'd say to medical students, would you be surprised if this, this person uh, uh, were to die in the next year? And they, would, and they would say, oh, no, I wouldn't be surprised. I've leathered on a wee bit there. I'll, I'll go back to answer, actually answering the question. Sure, sure. No worries. Okay, yeah. Mm. So often if uh, you see someone, especially if you're running a bit quick, and ask them how they're keeping, they'll say, I'm fine, doctor. And that, in fact, is the public account that many people have. Even if they've brushed with death and have been quite ill, maybe they've, maybe they've actually, they, such people actually have got competing narratives in their mind. They've got the, I'm getting better, the restitution account, I'm fine, doctor. And on the other hand, they know that they may well die. And so they've got a more realistic account in the back of the mind. 
So one thing that we can do is you could say, hey, you look well today or you always look well, but tell me, are there ever days when you're not so well? Or, or just, just tell me. And they would say, ah, funny you say that, doctor. So it allows them an opportunity just to raise, to bring up that other narrative. And they may wish to do that, depending on a lot of factors. And it never takes too long that, you know, it opens it and then you say, okay, thank you. Let's talk about it more again. Mm. So is that almost, um, you're signaling there to a patient that you're, you know, you're open to be talking about the, not their direct physical health at that point, but more about their, their, their wider health, about their, you know, about yes. what's going on. Yes, so there's a question like, you know, tell me something about you that I need to know so I can help you. So you're clearly signaling to any dimension of need is okay. We did a study actually about 10 years ago of the main issue that people in Africa have when they're dying, and it was pain or lack of money. Whereas in Lothian, their main problem, in fact, when they thought of the different dimensions, it was just me. It was an existential issue. Probably those are the more common issues there in people nowadays. And it's just allowing them the opportunity to express that, get it off their chest, acknowledge it. And then if it's causing distress, help them with it. It may not be causing distress, which will be fine. But if that's the area that someone's scratching in, it's reasonable to at least talk about it and then plan ahead. Or if someone says, an older person, main concern might be, you know, I, I'll be a, a burden to my relatives or I might get, lose my marbles with dementia or I might go into a care home. Well, let's talk about that. Palliative care for them would be addressing their needs or talking about them. So it wouldn't be talking about dying, for instance, in that group. We'd, we'd not deny talking about dying if, if it was an issue. Palliative care is not about dying. We should disarticulate it from the idea, palliative care, going to die, going to talk about dying. Not true. It's to promote living well until the very moments that someone dies. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what you're really talking about here is, is life care. Um, and that kind of goes to... Right, yeah. to yeah. Mm -hmm. GPs would say, we do that anyway. And so there is something, good general practice has the same four dimensions and planning. So it's really bringing that in there. And I would say, yeah, you're doing that, that's great. We should start it, you know, cradle to grave if we want. Yeah. Um, now, this goes to something you talk about in the paper, um, about the sort of, the that language really matters here. And it's really interesting, you mentioned um, that in Scotland there's been this almost natural experiment where mm. palliative care has been rebranded, in a way, as anticipatory care. Yes. Um, how did that happen? And... You know, where did the phrase come from and, and how did it get rolled out across the country? Well, about three years ago, two very fortunate things happened. There was a directly enhanced service that gave doctors, gave GPs and practice staff the time and the money to actually raise and plan ahead with patients. And the second thing was there was the availability of an electronic medical record that was from that time being extracted automatically Twice, twice every day, so that that could go to the hospital if the GP pressed the right button and the patient gave the permission. So at that stage, there was a, a good reason. There was time and resources, and there was actually the software available to actually do something. And that electronic summary also provides a place to actually put on the plan, which would then be sent to secondary care. We called it anticipatory care because it didn't have any baggage that advanced care planning was starting to get. What is advanced? Is it advanced or is it advanced? And it was just very helpful to show it was really about anticipating whatever the person's problems were rather than the dying bit. And it's easy to start with people because they would say, now, you know, 
to, maybe you might be admitted to hospital. Can we send the hospital information about you so that they can have that? And most people, I thought you'd do that already, doctor. <laughs> and so no one in our service ever says no. And with that permission, we can then send this anticipatory care plan to the out of hours through a, the structure of a key information summary. So that's been incredibly helpful. And now most people in Scotland actually die with anticipatory care in place whereas they do not have palliative care in place, as in England. And this, you know, you talk in the article about the need for integration here to have a joined-up system. Um, and at the moment, uh, in England, there really isn't one. Um, it's really disjointed, you know. Access to hospice care is, is tightly regulated. Um, palliative teams only called in the last few weeks and days. It's, it's all just, you know, bitty. Um, do you think it requires that that central will from from governments from funders from whomever to really push this and and make um palliative care or anticipatory care uh, uh central to and 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 joined up across the across everything i think it should i mean if we disarticulate palliative care from the dying bit because early in some illnesses like some neurological illnesses it's good to have, if you want, specialist palliative care early on, maybe, and then that can retreat after a little while. So the idea that this expertise in symptom management and these other areas may be appropriate, you know, at a diagnosis of a cancer and then a bit better at other times. So the idea having this extra support, not just towards the end, but it may be even more appropriate earlier on. So I would disarticulate it in that way. And the idea that it isn't one or other it should be that at diagnosis of a life-threatening illness, we continue on disease-modifying treatment, keep on going with that, but let's consider what aspects of palliative care should be introduced. So it's adding on something. Again, mm. it's, it's not less, it's more. Mm. Scott, your article is uh, now available online. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Scott Murray talk about how palliative care is about life, not death. You can read his full article and see the animations we mentioned earlier online on bmj.com. The article is called Palliative Care from Diagnosis to Death. If you've enjoyed this, please rate us or comment. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And our full back catalogue is now available on SoundCloud. Just search for BMJ Talk Medicine. Thanks for listening.